everybody, and welcome to Views on View. I'm Elizabeth, front-end engineer and view developer. And today on our panel, we have Chris Fritz, core team member. Yeah, hello. <laughs> We've got Ari Clark, real-time view extraordinaire and UX UI engineer at Liquid. Hello. And today our guest is Rahul Kadian. Rahul, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, I'm Rahul. I work at uh, an e-commerce company in India called Mintra and I contribute to Vue.js in my free time. Awesome. One of the biggest pain points that I find as I talk to people about software is deployment. It's really interesting to have the conversations with people where it's, I don't want to deal with Docker, I don't want to deal with Kubernetes, I don't want to deal with setting up servers, I don't, you know, all of these different things. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has gotten a lot easier. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has also kind of embraced a certain amount of culture around applications the way we build them, the way we deploy them. And I've really felt for a long time that developers need to have the conversations with DevOps or adopt some form of DevOps so that they can take control of what they're doing and really understand when things go to production, what's going on so that they can help debug the issues and fix the issues and find the issues when they go wrong and help streamline things and make things better and slicker and easier so that they'll more generally go right. So we started a podcast called Adventures in DevOps. And I pulled in one of the hosts from one of my favorite DevOps shows, Nell Shamrell Harrington from The Food Fight Show. And we got things rolling there. And so this is more or less a continuation of The Food Fight Show, where we're talking about the things that go into DevOps. So if you're struggling with any of these operational type things, then definitely check out Adventures in DevOps. And you can find it at adventuresindevopspodcast.com. Rahul, you work on Rollup Plugin View, and you're one of the that's one of your core focuses on the View team. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about how you got started working on Rollup Plugin View, and was that something that you initiated the work on? Yeah. So, and first, uh, like, what is it? I guess it's for people oh, who aren't yeah. aware. Good question. Yeah. So, uh, Rollup is a bundle just like Webpack or Parcel. So, when I started using View, I started just putting scripts in an HTML page. And I was not very familiar with Webpack, but I was using Rollup because I was already writing some small JavaScript libraries. So when I wanted to use Vue, I wanted to use it with Rollup because I was already using Rollup. So there was a gap and I needed a plugin. And I guess at that point in time, Evan didn't have enough bandwidth to write that plugin himself. I waited for a while. Nobody did it. So finally, I started. I started a plugin. I started just to solve the problems I was having. And... After a while, it had some downloads, and I guess Evan noticed it. He asked me to move that plugin to the Vue.js organization and be a part of core team and maintain it as a part of core team. And uh, after that, I uh, picked up a compiler as well. So I do spend a lot of time on basically all the toolings we have, like compiler, uh, template compiler, uh, component compiler, and compiler utils. So you so, do all the things that we're afraid to look at that make our lives easy, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. So stepping back a little bit, like with uh, all this compiler stuff, like uh, you talked about, you know, component compilers, like the, you know, for view single file components. And you also talked about templates, compiling templates. For people who aren't aware, like what is template compilation in view, like what is that? Is that something people need to know about? When does that happen? Yeah, uh, it's a good thing to know about the compilation process. Like, gives you insight. Like, uh, how can you write 
your templates better so that they are compiler friendly because uh, compilers can't be that smart that they can detect every kind of uh, syntax you are writing and provide optimum code always they can use some hints so if you know about compilation process you can help compiler to produce uh, better code so the template compiler is something like we write templates it's a html like language it's not html though it looks like html it has some directives which are additional from view it has some interpolation inside it and we use some components which are not html type so browsers don't understand that kind of html plus giving that html uh, non standard html to browser is not feasible like uh, even if we write standard html and give it to browser it's not performant and feasible to just provide that kind of uh, performance that uh, optimized render function can do so what we do is we take that html and convert into a render function that's the compilation process and it has multiple steps like we first understand the syntax we create a sort of a structured tree out of it we call it a syntax tree or uh, abstract syntax tree and from that we understand like where you are using a uh, reactive state which is a function of uh, event binding you are using or what is component uh, what is a slot and depending upon that syntax tree we generate a render function got it so we we basically go through and like create a blueprint of this template you know so we have like an element and you know we 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 register that we have an element and it has like you know these elements on it and then we we take things like a v if or like v model and we translate that to different things inside of a render function so that we have like a really nice well optimized render function automatically created from the template but allowing people to use like the html that they're familiar with and you mentioned even allowing them to do some things that you can't do in the dom like have uppercase and lowercase letters inside of attribute names and element names for example yes. you know a lot of people yeah. like to use pascal case for yeah uh, for uh component names yeah and uh, we can uh, do lots of things like uh the, we have some prototype also like uh, we are trying to do hoisting the static trees so let's say you have a component and you are using or state in one element and you have some static divs which are not using any state so what we can do is we can take out the part which renders the divs and cache it or store it somewhere so that they are not created every time you uh, run your render function we can reuse them and that also makes diffing algorithm fast because if we are using same references we don't have to diff same thing can be, do, be done with inline event handlers or attributes on elements so we can do lots of things and we are trying to figure out like uh, what the next compiler would be much better than this but we already have now oh so, so for example if i have like a super long terms of service which i'm just like pasting in the html for and there's nothing dynamic in the terms of service it doesn't change depending on who's looking at it it's just text and elements yeah. you know there's nothing changing there's nothing dynamic so it's static and that means we can just like cache it and render that part of the component more efficiently yeah you you basically if you have everything steady you get it for free uh, you don't have to spend any time uh, on cpu just the first rendering would render would require something after that it will reuse everything got it so every time state changes we don't have to go through and check every line of that terms of service to make sure there's not something that depends on that state because we we already know and we 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 go through and like check that the first time one more interesting thing evan presented this thing recently so instead of using a uh, virtual dom to diff we are creating something like a block tree 
So every component has some part, some reactive part. Let's say you are using some state in an interpolation or in the Mustard brackets, or you are using PA4, V4. So those part of your component are the reactive blocks and everything else which is not using anything is static. So the static thing. So we don't, when your state changes, we actually don't need to default the static things. We can just ignore them and just collect all the block. Like uh, if a component has one if, one four, and one state, we'll just collect all of them into an array and just div that array and everything else would always be seen. So that's an interesting thing. Uh, and it's not yet implemented, but it's coming soon in 3.0. Oh, that's cool. And I, I think Vue also has uh, like a, a standalone and a runtime only build, right? Yes. Does the template ha- like t- template compilation have anything to do with that, or what? What are those two different builds? First of all, yeah, give a standalone build. So it's a complete build which supports if you write a template as a string. So we run it through the compiler and process it. So it's a larger build because it includes the template compiler inside that build, but uh, the a runtime only build doesn't have that compiler, so you cannot use template strings, but it's smaller in size. So if you are using Vue CLI or Vue Load or Webpack, you are pre-compiling all your templates. You don't actually need that compiler in your production of websites. So we can just remove that and get a much smaller bundle of the Vue core. So when would you want one over the other? Like when would you want the the standalone build? You know, the the larger build. Okay. So I'll say for 90% of the cases, you don't need a standalone build, but let's say you are building something like an interactive demo website where you want people to write template in your website. You want to compile that on the fly and display it there. So those kind of things where you need full build because you are getting template in the browser. You want to compile it there. Code sandbox can be a good example. You are writing Vue templates there. They need full build of you if they are building with you. Got it. So, so for example, if you just want to drop view in like with a script tag and yeah. start like writing in DOM templates, for example, yeah. in the, you just want to wrap your, your whole application in like a div ID app. Yeah. And then just like write some view code and drop in some view components on different pages of like your, your backend templates. Yes. Yeah. That, that's also nice. Some case. Interactivity then like the standalone build would be better for that. The, so you, you'd have a little bit of a, a larger version of view, but it allows you to like handle that use case. Yeah, okay. let's say uh, you you are working on a legacy application on let's say Laravel application which returns some HTML, it's uh, some partial dynamic form that return. The queue uses the HTML for that form, and you want reactivity in that form. What you can do is you can take that HTML from the Laravel application, build it with the view build, uh, full build, a standalone build, and then use it. Okay, so in cases where you do have a build process, yeah, then you can use the runtime only build. Yes. And that just, you know, if I'm understanding this correctly, it's able to strip out the the actual template compiler from Vue because it's doing all of that at build time. So when you're like creating your JavaScript files and your CSS files, potentially, then it renders everything into render functions. So there's there's actually no templates in the code that you're shipping to the front end. Yes. Yes, that's what the uh, runtime build is for. So... With, uh, with Webpack or Rollup, you don't need the template compiled in your end website. So you can strip it out. Apart from Vue being slightly smaller, are there any other advantages to that? Yes. So if you are using uh, inline templates and full build, your website is a little slower because you are doing just-in-time compile. Like before using that component, you are compiling it. So the time required for compilation adds to your render time. 
Whereas when you're using uh, something like the bundler, a webpack or something, then uh, your component is already built. You just use that render function. So your website with uh, runtime view is a little bit faster. Cool. Are there any other things that people should know about for, you know, like the template compilation and, and using the two different builds? Any tricks? You, you talked a little bit about like, oh, it's useful to know about this because you yeah. can actually... Actually, uh, the view template compiler is extendable. You can write modules and you can do interesting things with it. Let's say uh, it's a common practice. We use some attributes to find elements for testing, some vtest attribute to find that element. And when you build with the no, uh, with compiler, all those attributes are there in your production code, but they don't have any use in production code. They are just for testing. So you can write a small module which can strip out those attributes and make your build smaller. Theoretically, you can do internationalization as well. You can process your... So instead of using runtime internationalization, you can have your strings in a file and process your template. Whenever you find a string... Uh, Add a small compiler module, which will look at look up that string in your translations file and replace that translation right in the build. So you can have build like an English build or a French build or something. So they would have uh, strings directly in the bundle. You don't have to, so you don't have to incur any runtime cost for the translation. Is there somewhere where people can find documentation on how to do that or tutorials or? somewhere to get started because that sounds super useful but also very scary so as far documentation goes we have documented the api but it can be a little difficult since it can be overwhelming to understand like how to use it though i presented a talk on it in uh viewcon last year uh, last year actually this year <laughs> yeah this uh, this year uh, it's available on long year, huh? <laughs> yeah. a long couple of months yeah that's the, the for, for anyone listening that's the the dark art of yes. uh, sfc compilation <laughs> I, I loved the title of that or view compilation something like that uh it, i think it was sfc yeah. very informative and and there are a, a lot of great demos in there that you can play with yeah, I guess my slides are still up. I hosted them on search, so they are up, I guess. Yeah, we'll, we'll drop those in the show notes. Sure. Yeah, that's incredibly useful. That That's basically, I think, the, the internationalization strategy that Angular uses, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, they have something similar. I haven't used it, but I've seen some talks where they are using something like that. Yeah, I've heard from Angular people who have seen your talk, who have told me basically <laughs> what I'm just repeating now. <laughs> <laughs> Great. And so you work not only on template compilation, but also, you know, we brushed on this a little bit, single file component compilation. Yeah. So for people who aren't aware, what is a single file component in Vue? So a single file component, it's a dot view file we all use. So it's, we call it single file component because it has all the parts of a component inside one file, like your styles, your template, your script in one file. And it doesn't limit you there. You can put your documentation, your test cases, your translations, whatever you can do. So SFC compiler or single file com component compiler is also extendable. You can write modules which compile different kind of blocks. So every root level talk, uh, tag is called block. Like we have script block, template block, and uh, style block in every component. But let's say you want to add docs block and you want to compile that docs for generating your style guide. So you can extend SSA compiler and basically do that thing. If you are using Nuxt, they have recently added a 
block uh, head block where you can put your all the meta information in that block and they are using same strategy to compile it and to add the uh, to compile that head block into a javascript function and add it to the component yeah i also see people doing uh, story blocks for storybook yeah. so that you can have like all the information including like examples of how to use the component inside the component just yes. inside that one file one thing i always get from people is like if you are putting everything in one file the file can become very large but with vs code and writer what you can do is you can collapse the, those things on those blocks and always and like you can have default configuration where you only script template and style are always expanded everything else is collapsed so that's possible i guess you mentioned the docs block is that something that i I've, i've never used that before or seen that before So that's separate from a uh, story block. Is that just something that you you need to use your plugin for or is that something you can just how do you uh, take so advantage of a docs block? Let's say you want to write some documentation about this component. You can create a docs block and for every block you can define a language. Let's say you want to use markdown in your docs block. So you can write your documentation in markdown right in the component and in your build system you can configure it to process that block. and basically extract that markdown and create a static website out of it. Wow, that's super cool. How useful. And and so if you're using Vue CLI would that be in like a vue.config.js file? Yes. If you want to extend template compiler or SFC compiler. So SFC compiler is basically your Vue loader. So if you want to extend Vue loader or template compiler, you can configure right in your vue.config file. And it is available on uh, Vue CLI documentation. Plus, if you get to catch up my talk, I show a demo like how can you do it. Great, and I don't think you mentioned, or maybe you did, and I missed it, that at these single file components are basically the, like these special files with .view extensions. I, I don't know if we mentioned the .view extension. So, if you're looking at a view project and you see a bunch of files with these .view extensions, those are these single file components that we're talking about, where you know you have everything together—the script, the CSS, and the style block—and also the the template in the template block and you touched on this briefly like some of the advantages of single file components but could you go into a little bit more detail like why would people use this as opposed to just like a regular javascript file so one of the advantages you get from sfc is like the template so if you're going to write a render function and want to optimize it it's going to look very ugly and you can't see that kind of javascript code like there would be references to something uh, plus you have to handle context all uh, this context inside the render function you can write what you don't want to write a really optimized render function and if you are not using view file you lose the template blocks so that's the benefit uh, with dot view file you get the best optimized render function out of the box plus when you are using dot view file you have to use a build system and with build system you can use uh, pascal case components in your template you can use camel case attribute names and you can have comments which can be stripped out of uh, of the template when you build it and plus you can extend like you can extend other blocks you can write your stories i think it also helps like uh, it helps in collocation so you are putting your related code in a component so you no longer are uh, thinking about separation of concerns in terms of javascript css and template but thinking like this component is an entity so Theoretically, every component is a view app. You can basically serve it as a view app. So every component can be treated as a tiny view app, which you combine to create a larger view app. 
So I know at your current company, you're you're working on creating a design language system. And first of all, I'm not clear on the design language system versus the design system, but it seems like single file components and using that view, um, those single file view sort of chunks would go well with a design system or something like that. If you wanted to create a sense of atomic design, for example, is that something Uh, that you've been able to utilize? No, the funny story is my company does not use view. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm working on a design system. I'm using React there, but I'm using lots of uh, methodologies and all the patterns we are using view in React. So my view, uh, my React code looks a lot like view code. And I I kind of set a standard in my company now. If people will go out of my company and see some other React code, they will say like, this is not React. (laughs) and going back to the design language system so what i understand like i'm recently reading and listening to lots of what comes on design so design language system is sort of a blanket or design systems like we define how a product would look or appear in every kind of interaction like you define your what kind of voice you are using what kind of interactions we are defining, like how user will interact, all the buttons and all. Other than that, we define like how colors would appear on a screen, on print, in any kind of media. It's it's sort of a larger scope. And my part, basically, in the design language system is like I help them with implementation. So all those ideas they are coming from design side, we implement it and we can ship it as a component library which people can use. So when they're using uh, that component library, they automatically use the design system. And has that been working in kind of the way that you've expected? Has it been as useful as you had intended it to be? It's really useful. The thing I like about it, like we have automated lots of things. So the source code is written in TypeScript. And uh, luckily, the TypeScript support in React is much better. So we are inferring lots of thing about those components and generating documentation automatically so we have we use inline comments to basically annotate what this prop is and we are inline annotating all the examples in the component itself and we extracting it to generate a website and one thing we're also doing like we are extracting all the type information from this component and we have an embedded editor in our doc side so that uh, we are using vs codes editor for what its name so it looks exactly like VS Code, and we are providing all the that extracted type type information to the editor. So you get type completion in browser itself. When you are fiddling in the examples on the website, you get all the prop completion, all the basically you get all the names and uh, what kind of info type you want to provide in those props. So it's really nice, and I want to do this thing with Vue also soon. Yeah, it seems like you made some other contributions to the Vue ecosystem, like there is a VS Code language plugin that you're working on for Vue? Yeah, that language plugin I'm working on is really experimental, and I guess it's not useful to anyone now. Okay. <laughs> Two things I'm exploring it, like uh, I'm exploring to detect where your global components are so that I can provide completion for those global components. And other thing I'm exploring, like using compiler to get all the inf- information about that component. So let's say we define all the props, but sometimes we, what we do is like we transparently forward all those props to an, compon- in, an internal component. So we use something like vbind actors or vbind listeners. So I'm trying to detect like you are using, let's say inside uh, dropdown, you are passing everything in to a button and a button has a required prop. 
So I'm surfacing all those props so that you can basically get suggestions for attributes also. And another thing I want to provide with this thing like editing capabilities. Right now, Vittle does lots of things, but uh, editing is not there. So if you rename a prop or rename a data property, uh, you have to go to template and change it everywhere. So what I want to do is you change in JavaScript, it automatically reflects in your template. That's awesome. All this is possible. It will take some, it, it will take lots of time. <laughs> I'm learning about the language server protocol. Pine has been really helpful with it. Like he has shared me all the resources I can use to learn about it. I'm looking at Twitter code so that I can see how he, Pine is doing all the stuff he's doing with it. My mind is just blown right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking about all the times that I changed a prop name oh, <laughs> attribute and then I run my build for 10 minutes or however long it takes and then I get an error. Oh, you didn't change it right in the template. <laughs> so, yeah. It would be really awesome. Like you change a prop in component in what, uh, in your component and it gets changed everywhere you are using that component. Oh my mm-hmm. God, that'd be amazing. 10 other files <laughs> and it gets updated there. Because, oh my God, the, the number of uh, find and replaces I've had to do when I maybe didn't necessarily want to change every instance of it because some instances weren't actually tied to that component. And then, yeah, we've all been there, right? (laughs) Yep, certainly. One thing that I saw um, that you had been working on, and let me know if you are read, if you want to talk about this or if you want to, you know, if it's still in progress, but you have a, a repo called, I think, View Lazy Hydrate. Is that right? Correct me on the name of it. Yeah, so uh, do lazy hydration. Mm-hmm. I was exploring progressive hydration. So when you do SSR, you get your static HTML and then your JavaScript kicks in. So there's a delay and, and between SSR it. being server-side rendering, right? Yes, SSR, okay. <laughs> server-side rendering. Yeah. yeah. So when you do SSR and you get your static HTML and then JavaScript kicks in. So there's a delay between when your JavaScript kicks in. And if you have larger pages and larger JavaScript bundle, that delay can be significant. It can be like four seconds and five seconds. And if user tries to click on your page or interact with any of the form elements, it won't be respond because JavaScript hasn't started yet. So to tackle these kind of problems, what we can do is like, we don't hydrate everything. We just say like use uh, HTML as it is. And when the moment you try to interact some element, we hydrate that part only. So does that sort of like break up the JavaScript into like smaller bite-sized pieces. Is that the idea so that it's not having to do as much work all at once? Yeah. So we are not splitting JavaScript. Let me go through the hydration hydration process first. So you send the HTML, you create a new instance of view. View sees that the, the element where we are mounting, it has some HTML and there's a special attribute uh, data server generated or server render I forgot it. So if you see that attribute, it knows that we have to hydrate this HTML into the virtual DOM. So what we can do is like, uh, we, let's say there's, there is an expensive component that can take some time to render. So when view is trying to generate a render, uh, a virtual uh, DOM node for that particular component, but what we can tell is like this component is not yet downloaded. We just mock that this is being downloaded as a async component. And when view goes to that to render that component, it won't actually hydrate it. It, it will delay that hydration. When you try to interact with that part that uh, the, uh, that HTML, we can tell you that now this component is ready. Now hydrate it. So then it will create virtual nodes and actually uh, interact with the DOM. 
otherwise it just skip that part of dom and, and it won't even generate virtual nodes for all the all those components so is it sort of like asynchronously hydrating things yes yes okay yes. <laughs> yay <laughs> So the main benefit being that um, when you have a server-side rendered page, you can interact with things faster. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And you have all kinds of events that can trigger hydration, like hover, click, you know, when you scroll down, kind of like lazy loading and it's visible, things like that. It's pretty neat. I can definitely imagine a lot of use cases where I would want to use a plugin like that. Yeah, like uh, hover, I'll... Uh, I like interaction more than hover because you cannot hover on mobile devices and that oh, interaction, yeah. it looks for touch, it look, looks for focus events, it looks for hover events. So basically, whenever you try to approach an element, it will start hydrating it. And hover can be used maybe in desktop websites where you have a huge chart which has some interactivity, but unless user is interacting with chart, we don't need to hydrate that part. We can save some CPU time. And when user moves their mouse over the chart, you can hydrate and basically give them interactivity. So it's sort of like interactivity only on demand. Like, yes. okay, I'm following now. This is exciting. <laughs> so does that mean like in some situations, some components would never be hydrated because no one ever interacted with them? Yeah. In fact, I have a, a mode for this also. Like you can do SSR only and your content uh, component won't ever be hydrated on client site. Wow, that sounds awesome. Yeah, that sounds very performant. Yeah. <laughs> I think GitHub's that contribution chart can be a really good example for this. Like you want to display that kind of chart, but there's no interactivity. So there's no point of hydrating it on client side. You can generate it on server side. And yeah. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Have you had people using this yet? Or are you using this yourself? On any of your projects? I'm using, I'm basically, I'm creating lots of demos with it. So yeah. uh, I guess uh, Marcus, I'm sure his name is correct. Marcus came up with this concept of like doing lazy hydration. I'll, and he was struggling with like how we can mimic that this component is loading. So I found a way in view code that we can mimic that this component is not ready yet. And we are using a very small hack. So view uses a special property on vNode called async factory. So whenever that value is uh, truthy, we will think like it's an async component which is going to load in some time. And so it skips the hydration parts for those async components. So this lazy hydration component does nothing. It just creates a virtual DOM node and sets a property on async factory to an empty object. And then view feels like it's an async component. It's a single line of code. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, interesting. Well, um... So you obviously are um, 
active in the community with your development contributions, but you also recently ran a conference called Awesome Conf, right? And that's a, a view conference where everybody has to participate which I thought was really interesting <laughs> because if you have everybody participating, I, first of all, I think that's a really cool idea. Like tell us about how that conference went and, and how it goes to have everybody, um, everybody do a talk where there are issues where people didn't want to speak or they didn't have, you know, a, a topic and you had to come up with topics to share around. Yeah. So uh, let me first tell you how I came up with the idea of this conference. So I've been running view meetup in, in, in Bangalore for the last two years. And for every meetup, we struggle to get speakers. We get tons of attendees. Like we got 20 attendees, but we don't get speakers. And that, that was the problem. So uh, we were trying to pitch that we can have a conference. Uh, so the conference we were trying to pitch to was JS4 View Day, which is happening on 31st, uh, 30th of August now. But... We don't have anything like uh, we don't have any proof of concept. Any con- view conference didn't ever happen in in India, so we wanted to present like uh, view. Com- uh, there are speakers who can speak about view. So first we were going with a traditional conference, like uh, you can have attendees and all. The problem with was like we didn't get any CFP submissions, so <laughs> we changed. We changed anything. Like uh, you can, if you are attending this conference, you have to speak. Oh my gosh, I love it. That's so that's so bold, yeah. but it's. What else are you gonna do? So uh, we created a list of topic we can where you can pick from if you don't have your own topic, and we literally help people to create their talk, basically come up with content. Like uh, I and uh, my co-organizer Swapnil, we did lots of calls and we did practice on all the talks before they were actually presented, and yeah, we had around thirty-five ish submissions out of which they decided we will do 15 talks in this conference. And that was a lot. Like wow. to fit 15 talks in a day is very difficult. But yeah, like then another problem we ran, like uh, we can have maximum 15 talks. So there are going to be only 15 attendees in our conference. Uh, that is a small number. So then we allowed plus one, like get your significant other, get your friend, get your partner. And now we have 30 people. That was a room full of people and we had fun. <laughs> I want to point it out, like, uh, I'm doing one more awesome conf, and this time in design. Budget awesome conf or design. <laughs> so when you say design, um, is that still involving dev stuff, or is it purely design? I actually don't know what to do. So I'm running a survey right now. So I'm trying to understand, like, should I focus on people who are in front end and design, or mm-hmm. who are purely in design? So I'm running a survey for the last three weeks. Yes, I'll run it for one more week and depending upon responses, I think it would be better if there's a mix of growth, like it's diversity. There's someone who has context of design and is a developer, someone who is basically, I want to present a room full of diverse people so people can learn from each other. Like for, from, for small conferences, it's like you learn from conversations. Mm-hmm. I want to create a room full of diverse people. Yeah, I think that's really important too when you if you for opportunities like that where you can bring together folks who usually work with each other. So it creates less of a silo. So when you have kind of developers front end explaining their needs and designers explaining their needs and UX, UI people, you know, people who go out and do user research all in one place, you can help to learn about, you know, the the kinds of things that 
everybody takes into consideration when they work and the things that make you know each other's workflows easier. So I think that's a really cool idea. I hope it works. <laughs> I'm sure it will. Why wouldn't it? That's very that's really cool. You just decided I'm going to make a conference and you know conferences don't have to be these huge things with hundreds of people and sponsors and catered food etc etc cetera, et cetera. I kind of like viewconf was you know you can just create a conference have 15 people there and it's amazing that you actually got all those people to speak so you said that you personally listened to every talk over the phone yeah um, like it was more of them to give them some confidence that they are doing good and mm-hmm. uh, we had out of 15 like 11 or 12 or first time speakers so it was important for them like uh like they were not sure most of them were not sure that they are doing good or how to present or how to prepare slides i think uh it would have helped them and it helped me also like i get to see so many people i get to see like where actually people struggle and i found like most of people who are not actually struggling they were scared of speaking so it was more of like comforting them like they are doing good they should do it and then we improve i can definitely relate to that feeling <laughs> speaking is scary but if i was speaking at a conference where i knew everybody had to speak and there were a lot of other first time speakers there it would put my mind at ease a lot yeah i agree with that part, part of this the scary part about speaking for me is the fact that by you know offering to speak at a meetup or you know wherever else it's basically me saying yeah i know about this and i'm going to tell every all of you guys about it and so if everybody was forced to talk then i would think oh you know i'm just coming up with something to say it's not like i think i'm some expert you know i have to talk so it takes a little bit of the intimidation factor away for sure yeah personally i see all the talks as stories like this is my story i was trying to share I could be wrong. I could be right. That's your that's your decision to just like take whatever you can take from my story, learn whatever you can learn from my story, and you find something like I'm doing wrong, come and tell me what I'm doing wrong. It's like I'm sharing my yeah. story with you. That's really I really like that. Yeah, <laughs> that actually sort of uh, put things in perspective for me because I'm in the middle of like reworking a talk, and I'm like, oh god, I could go down so many rabbit holes. Oh god. <laughs> But yeah, I guess if I think about it as my story, it's a lot easier to tell than trying to figure out some super smart thing that people are going to like be like, "Oh wow, I didn't know that." <laughs> if it's more personal, it's less intimidating. <laughs> Which I guess for some people that wouldn't be the case, but for me, I'm much better at being myself than I am at being super smart. <laughs> All of us are. <laughs> I think I have a final question for, for for Rahul, a personal question. So, why compilation? Like it seems like a strange choice for a front-end developer. I what draws you to this set of problems and what do you find so interesting about it? I'm uh, I'm not computer science. I I'm not a, I don't have a formal education in computer science. But what I did is like I liked computer science courses a lot. so i used to bunk my classes and attend computer science classes <laughs> so i attended operating system compilers and interpreters class <laughs> because there was something which they allowed me to enter the class rahul uh, i have to say that is the nerdiest way to skip class i've ever heard <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> in india is really difficult like uh, 
if you want to study computer science first you have to study chemistry physics and mathematics you have to be good on those three subjects then you get a better rank in the college and then you can study computer science if you can't study if you are not good at chemistry you can't study computer science that is how we have it yeah and plus we have a lot of people so comp- competition is fierce like around 10 lakh uh, uh 1 million yeah i guess 1 million people give examination and only 10000 get through so so yeah wow. it's really difficult like if you want to yeah. study computer science in a good institute it competition is fierce so uh i got into chemistry but i was interested in computers so i used to fun class and attend courses so out of all the courses i attended i liked operating system and i wanted to build operating system at that time <laughs> luckily that didn't happen it's good <laughs> then i attended databases compiler and interpreter uh, so i had little bit familiarity with compilers and when i found an opportunity like uh, whatever i did like all the parses and everything i built and that course can actually be built in real world so i liked it and i started working on compiler and i still like to work on uh, basically all the parsers and working with source code and recently start uh, started working with vs code plugins and it's nice and it really allows you to improve your developer experience too like as a front end dev yeah <laughs> you can change so many things to really kind of like build the framework that you want yes 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 i was building sort of a presentation framework so it's like markdown but it like multiple markdowns in one file so you have front matter then some content front matter some so basically some yaml and some content again again so it was easy to build a compiler with view and view loader but for ide support i got into plugins it's called view slides it's available on uh and uh, vs code extension so and if you create a file with dot slides extension you can basically have a markdown file and there are only two users right now me and mariam susan we have similar we have two sense. different frameworks <laughs> we have two different frameworks but we use same input format <laughs> so we are using that that extension and you're giving a talk on that coming up in october is that right yeah 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 uh, connect tech in in coming october like how to build your own presentation system using you i'm really looking forward to that cuz i will be there Nice. Yeah, it's something like that. I I know I I approved it. So <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Chris. That's a great topic. I think it'll be a lot of fun too. Rahul has such great examples too, and allows you to like helps you solve so many really cool and common problems. And then, okay, I have one final final question. So, if you one day built your own operating system, would it be called Rahunix? <laughs> It's a nice name, but I guess I'll pick my Twitter handle <laughs> over my name because Rahul is a really common name. So that's why I had to come up with a new. So wait, so you're are you worried that another Rahul might yeah. create a new Rahulix? <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Well, th- thank you so much for like sharing your knowledge today, yes. and thanks for also making it easy or easier to. like get into compilation and you know add custom blocks and things like this and and building tools that allow us to customize it and for like doing these talks and other education to like help people learn how to do these things it's it's so useful i wish more people work on compilers and tools i want contributors and roll up like it 
in a way, you don't have to worry about as like as many issues and pull requests, or maybe maybe more issues and fewer pull requests. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that might be. But accurate. probably even fewer issues because there are probably like not that many people who don't have the skill to like fix a compiler problem, but have the skill to know that it is a compiler problem. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And know uh, the project to open an issue on. I guess most of the issues are coming from library maintainers. So where can people find you on the internet? They can find me on Twitter mostly and my website. uh, My Twitter handle is ZNCK0. Maybe Chris, you can pronounce it for American audience. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I mean, I don't know how to pronounce it. Zinc, zinc. That's how (laughs) I say it in my head, at least, I think. The internet's weird. It's like, there are so many things where, like, I pronounce it one way. Like, I was on a, some kind of panel one time, and we were talking about PWAs, and I pronounced it pois. <laughs> <laughs> I call it And spontaneous laughter was the response in that case also. <laughs> but if it can be pronounced, why not pronounce it? Pois. If it sounds so nice, pois. Pois. You made yeah, my day, Chris. Thanks for that. But it's it's one of those things that until you actually say it with other people, <laughs> like you don't realize that you say it differently. And yeah. also, like I know that I'd said this with a bunch of other teams, but I <laughs> no one said anything in those cases with those teams because they assumed <laughs> that I was right. <laughs> that, like, oh, I am obviously saying it the way that everyone says it when really I was or- the outlier. They didn't know what a poire was and thought it was some outlandish concept that only super smart people know. <laughs> no, they, they knew what I was talking about, but no one, no one corrected. And they just started oh calling. Oh my god! Well, now I'm going to say poire. So, and <laughs> it is a little bit more fun. Spread the poire. Give you that. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds scary too, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, we already say spa. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Instead There's of precedent. SPA for single page application. Yeah. We do. <laughs> I think we do. Wait. A lot of people. No, that's one of those where like, I feel like it's pretty split. Like some people will go through the trouble of saying SPA, but most people are just like spa because it's way easier. So I get it. Pwa. Okay. I'm on board now. Okay, I think we got a little off topic there. <laughs> <laughs> One ambition I had early on in my career was actually to build iOS apps. And so, of course, my solution was to start a podcast talking about how to build iOS apps. And so we asked around, we got some ideas, and eventually Josh Susser from the Ruby Rogues podcast put up the idea of the iFreaks show. And that's what we called it. You can find it at iFreakshow.com. And every week we're talking about iOS development and Swift and Objective-C and libraries and reactive programming and all of the things that go into making good iOS apps. I don't run the show anymore, but we've got Andrew Madsen who puts together the curriculum for Lambda School. We've got James Uber who's been doing iOS development as a freelancer for a long time. We've got Mike Holt, who's a good friend of mine who's been who's worked in Xamarin and in Swift and currently does a bunch of interesting work on that. And we've got other people that we're bringing in all the time to make that show better. So if you're trying to keep up on all of the advancements that Apple makes, all of the announcements from WWDC, and you want to hear from people who are doing this day in and day out and talking about it and teaching people about it and doing the work with it, 
then you definitely need to check out iFreaks. You can find it at iFreaksShow.com. That's I-P-H-R-E-A-K-S show.com. Should we go on to picks? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Who would like to go first? I'll go first. Okay. So this week I started playing a new game and I'm absolutely obsessed. It is called Forager. If you like games like Stardew Valley or Terraria, this game will take many, many hours of your life. I started playing for the first time on Sunday morning at 8 a.m. At 1 p.m., I realized that I hadn't really moved and had been playing for five hours straight, and I still wanted more. So only start playing if you have time that you need to waste, I guess, which maybe some of you should never start playing. (laughs) Uh, But you can find it on Steam, PS4, or Nintendo Switch. And that's my only pick this week. Gosh, I I had to... Stardew Valley is one of those games that I had to ban myself from ever playing again. Okay, yeah, you should not play Forager. Okay. You would love it, but... Yeah, because I I recognize like, oh, I'm not going to have any self-control with this. Yeah, no, I'm I'm very much a a person (laughs) of extremes. And so I I really, like with some things, I have to either make it my full-time thing now or just never do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think you can get paid to play foragers. So yeah, might be better just to stay away, Chris. Yeah. But I am open to offers. Uh, if anyone <laughs> would like to hire me to play, play forager, um, I have not played it, but I'm willing to give it a shot for the right price. So give me a call. I'd send you my, go fund me. I'd send you my CV, but I, it's not relevant. I mean, <laughs> Maybe you could have a separate gaming CV. What a gaming CV of the yes. games I've played? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Actually, you could get paid to play Forager. Just stream it on Twitch. No, I don't think... I really do not think I would be fun to watch. You know, you'd think I'm that, but people used to pay fun. me to play games, so... Huh. Yeah, but you're, you're, I think you're more fun. I don't know, Chris. I don't know. You're a pretty fun guy. No, I get, I get like really obsessed. I get really focused when I'm playing a game. Oh yeah, no, me too. And then, <laughs> and then I just like, don't talk. <laughs> That's not going to be fun. Just watch me frown at the screen for 14 hours or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I learned I make the worst expressions when gaming. But anyway, moving on to someone else's pick. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll go next. So my first pick is a project idea. If you're looking for you know, something to build to help you, you know, practice your skills and help you maybe get into view if you, you know, still haven't taken the plunge and tried out view is to create a self-care app. This is an app that you can go to when you're like feeling really stressed or overwhelmed and maybe aren't even thinking straight. And you could do things like generate cat pictures from the cat API to like soothe yourself. This sounds like uh, an amazing You could also idea. develop a survey asking what you're feeling or going through then like recommending to your future self coping strategies that have worked in the past for cases when like you just you just can't even like think straight and can't figure out what to do and how to discharge these emotions or process them i may have to do that that's fantastic and thank you for sharing that idea chris yeah it's it's a fun project and also something that you can actually use and keep working on and it's something that will be very personal to you Mm -hmm. I love it. And also uh, I have, I can't remember if I did this book recommendation before, 
but I finished reading Crazy Like Us, which is about uh, basically uh, international or global psychology and, and kind of an introduction for like why this field in, in psychology is needed and, and why it has developed about how the, the West basically exports its ideas of mental health to everyone around the world, sometimes with disastrous results and really pointing out how like every kind of mental condition pretty much is culturally specific. You know, even things that we think of as universal, like anxiety and depression, you know, the way that those things are experienced are very culturally specific in the way that, you know, we can help ourselves, we can treat ourselves is also culturally specific. And a couple things on my to read list that I have not started reading yet is uh, Children of Ruin, which is out now by Adrian Tchaikovsky. It's the sequel to Children of Time, which I talked about in the podcast before. It was one of my picks. Um, just such great, like, speculative fiction sci-fi. And out soon, I'm really looking forward to it, is Interference by Sue Burke, which is the sequel to Semiosis, a book that I talked about, I think, a little bit more recently, which is, uh, not to give too many spoilers, but imagine, like intelligent life evolving on a planet as plants and exploring that idea and how like plant intelligence might work. And uh, it's, I, it's not perfect. And certainly the uh, Sue Burke, I I love what you're doing, but you do not understand linguistics. (laughs) And so like anything related to linguistics in there is kind of like, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense. (laughs) It's kind of weird. So that's my one complaint. And also I, in the first chapter, or in the first book at least, every chapter is written from a different character's perspective, which I think is a really interesting writing exercise. I don't always love how, how Superk has done it, but overall it's fun. And uh, I'm reading it to my wife, Katie, now. We, we read books to each other for fun. Like it's, it's one of our like sort of quality time activities. And it allows me to make up different voices for everybody. <laughs> I think I you should really videotape hard. that for the rest of us. <laughs> I don't know if I should, because it's hard <laughs> not to do racist voices. Oh, okay. Yeah. Keep that, um, keep that private. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, yeah. So <laughs> I just don't have that, like any accent that I do that isn't an accent that I'm extremely familiar with is going to be like a super racist version of that accent. I, I can't avoid it. And so we just try to move past that and just, just go for the spirit of what I'm trying to do. <laughs> I still, I still really want to hear this, but maybe that's privately fair. sometimes. But I'm not willing to. <laughs> I'm not willing to, to like insult everyone who's listening with yeah, like my, my terrible depictions, and also a lot of things just sort of veer into Russian. Oh, okay, yeah, because like Russian not? accent. Like I'll start out Scottish and then it'll go Russian. <laughs> You're not helping me not want to hear this. Okay. Well, maybe later. <laughs> and those are my picks for today. I guess I go next. So my first pick is a Netflix episode of Love, Death and Robot is called When the Yoga Took Over Everything. It's kind of like uh, Chris's pick where plant intelligence was developed. Instead here, yoga developed some kind of intelligence and it took over the world. It's really interesting. It's like 20 minute watch. You should watch it. My second pick is a game. Uh, it's a PS4 exclusive. Uh, it's called Detroit Become Human. It's a 
kind of scenario play game. I don't actually remember the name of it, but uh, it has really good stories, and you are given some uh, some scenarios, and you have to pick a direction. So basically, you lead the story. So the story is branched. You can so you can pick a branch, and you basically you build the story out of it. So it has really compelling story and actually it has multiple stories like you build your own story so it can have multiple stories i have played this game like three times now and and i have seen three different ending and i guess there are 16 different ending for the game so you can play it a lot of time and uh, you can take different paths every time and my third pick is uh, a design resource so uh, invision has open source couple of books on design and design systems and basically everything in design they are really good books and they are available on audio version as well on soundcloud and as on apple books or something like they are available in audio and written they're really good you can read to them or listen to them awesome okay i'll go next so i only have one pick unlike all of you overachievers my pick is the illustrated.dev newsletter I'm not sure how I found this but I did and this person I think her name is Maggie basically illustrates dev concepts so the one I'm looking at right now for example is relevant to our podcast it's called what's the difference between compilers and transpilers and she basically does these really beautiful and easy to understand explanations of front end usually front end concepts so yeah it's really cool if you want things like that delivered to your inbox you should maybe think about subscribing i think her website is illustrated.dev so that's my only pick this week yeah that's really nice i i was looking for something like this for javascript proxies today mm. yeah, it's good yeah if you're a visual learner they're pretty nifty and that's it for this episode of views on view thank you for joining us until next week enjoy the view This segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit c a c h e f l y dot com to learn more.